This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Workers' Comp Matters. I'm Alan Pierce. Happy to be with you today on the Legal Talk Network, as always. Got an interesting show, which I will get to in a moment. I want to thank our sponsor, PI Now. If you need a private investigator anywhere in the country, PINow.com is your source. I've got an interesting guest uh, today. Our discussion is really a smackdown on WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, Inc., And our guest is Mary Katina. Mary has a a stellar academic history, which is ongoing. She has her bachelor's and master's in history and political science from the University of Texas. She, along the way, has picked up her master's of business administration and just recently received her Juris Doctor from the University of Wyoming. And she is now starting working on her LLM at Wayne State. So she has prepared and is preparing for a career in the law and perhaps focusing on labor law. She was a favorite student of one of my favorite people. And as she reminded me, her favorite professor, Professor Mike Duff from the University of Wyoming Law School. And it was through his tutelage that uh, she wrote a paper, which has an intriguing title. It's putting the smackdown on World Wrestling Entertainment, Inc. with the raw truth. World Wrestling Entertainment Wrestlers are employees. And as you will hear in a few minutes, there is a very significant question about that statement. This paper was submitted to the College of Workers' Compensation Lawyers, which holds a student writing competition every year. And it was the winner. And Mary will be presented with an award both for herself and for the University of Wyoming for uh, presenting the winning paper and really focusing on an issue that we don't always think about or hear about, and that is the status of certain types of workers and their eligibility for benefits. So, you know, with that as a beginning, Mary, I'd like to welcome you to Work Comp Matters. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate you having me today, and um, I'm anxious to, to talk a little bit about this with you. All right. First of all, let's, you know, let's really dig in here. The main, I, I don't want to use the word culprit, but the, the source of your paper is WWE. How big an organization is that? And in terms of the professional wrestling community, who and where are they positioned? WWE for a long time has been the preeminent wrestling organization. There, you know, over the course of the last 30 years or so, there have been some what they call independent promotions that have made a little bit of noise. But WWE has just uh, traditionally just been been really the place to be. And, and they really hold, in a lot of ways, they hold all the cards in terms of where wrestlers want to be and who they want to work for because it's the biggest payday, obviously. And Currently, there's AEW, which is kind of making a lot of noise and kind of concerning WWE a little bit. But, but in the end, I mean, WWE is publicly traded. They make a lot of money and they're, they're worldwide and they've been around for a long time. So they, they're preeminent for sure. Okay. And how many professional wrestlers are under contract with uh, WWE? They right now have approximately 300 wrestlers under contract. Now, a lot of jurisdictions have difficulties in 
their workers' compensation statutes, and not just the workers' compensation statutes, but all other types of benefit-providing statutes or uh, sources such as unemployment compensation, health insurance, and other protections. And what comes to mind are professional athletes. Uh, there are exemptions in many workers' comp statutes for professional athletes, especially uh, if they're injured while under contract, and also about entertainers. And it would seem to me as, a, as an observer that the professional wrestlers, both for WWE or any other organization, kind of are in between. They're, they're, they're clearly athletes, but they're also clearly entertainers. And we don't have to get into the legitimacy of the matches and the wins and losses. I think most of us know that this is an entertainment forum rather than a sports forum. Absolutely. And, and they, and, you know, even WWE themselves, you know, they, they actually, you know, changed, changed the, it was WWF for a long time, World Wrestling Federation. They changed it to the E because it is entertainment. That's, that's what the E stands for. So they're aware of that. And they actually, they actually refer to themselves as sports entertainment. So you're exactly right, right down the middle, kind of both. And it would see, it seemed to me that performers slash athletes do occupy a somewhat different stature or status than the typical worker who reports to work on Monday and punches a clock or, or, or is paid salary and goes home um, at the end of the day. So there, you know, there clearly is a difference. But what is the primary reason that somebody injured while engaged in a professional wrestling match would not be eligible for workers' compensation benefits? Well, the WWE contracts with these 300 wrestlers uh, specifically state that they are independent contractors and not employees and also specifically have language that uh, states that they are not eligible for workers' compensation. Okay, let me stop you right there. Why wouldn't that be enough if there's a meeting of the minds between a, a corporation and somebody they uh, contract with to perform duties for that corporation to define their relationship. Why isn't that the end of the story? Well, courts traditionally, as you just mentioned, they traditionally will uphold, you know, they have the meeting of the minds and they, they are loath to interfere with, with contracts. However, in this particular situation, when it comes to employees versus independent contractors and language in a contract that states that someone is an independent contractor, the court generally will will look at the actual the the real nature of the relationship in order to determine if an employment situation exists and and they don't the courts generally don't just rely on the contractual language okay and and speaking as a an attorney who primarily if not exclusively represents employees i've seen this in many settings whether it's painting contractors roofing contractors um it is not enough that the purported uh, employer terms a relationship an independent contractor versus employee-employer relationship, nor is it conclusive that the person, him or herself, considers themselves an independent contractor. Allowing that to exist would allow pretty much any employer to just call all of its staff independent contractors and escape any type of scrutiny. So we are dealing with these issues, and I've always dealt with the issue as to who is an employee versus who is an independent contractor, and bodies of law have crept up. Of course, every jurisdiction treats this in their statute, and there's also case law. But generally speaking, from a common law point of view, what are the basic determinants that a court will look at to settle the question of employment status between employer-employee versus independent contractor? 
The first factor is the extent of control over the details of the work. When determining this, it's the extent of control over the physical activity and time and also the absolute right to termination. In both of these situations with the relationship between WWE and the wrestlers, WWE has an extraordinary amount of control over the physical activity and time of the wrestlers. There have been several different pieces of information that have kind of been leaked, memos to directors of the live events that literally uh, stage out every step of what the wrestlers are, are allowed to do and not allowed to do, where they're allowed to walk, what they're allowed to say. There's some scripts that have been leaked as well from a Monday Night Raw event where literally pauses and gaps in, uh, in the conversation were scripted. So there's a pretty high level of control control of, of the actual wrestlers uh, during their time in the ring. And in addition, the WWE has an absolute right to terminate for any reason whatsoever. You know, generally you would see like a reason to terminate that might not indicate absolute control would be like, you know, if, if there's a, um, you know, a drug abuse situation or something like that. But WWE has the right to terminate for any reason whatsoever at their sole discretion. And so um, both of those things that you know, WWE has that level of control really kind of prove out the extent of control that they have. And the, that that extent does fall in line with the type of control that an employer would have over an employee. Mary, in your paper, you actually throw the words of the WWE back at them. They, on the one hand, in their contracts specifically indicate, in a sense, they have no control over their uh, professional wrestlers, that they acknowledge that they are independent contractors. But uh, you quote a phrase that is in one of their uh, pleadings in a in a lawsuit regarding that issue on page six. So on the one hand, WWE is arguing that they really have no control over over these wrestlers to the extent that it would render them an employer. Unfortunately, what has happened from what I've read and what I understand, what has happened is that when these suits are being brought, because there have been several that have been brought in order to prove out that WWE is the employer, but unfortunately, these suits are being brought or are really not getting to the proper issues. And, you know, in my opinion, don't seem very well thought out in their attack. Honestly, I haven't seen a, a case even since WWE claimed that. I haven't seen a case where that has been brought up in a subsequent case to prove out the employment relationship. So I, I feel like if somebody was to attack this, an attorney was to attack this with all the guns blazing, I, I feel like they could prove this out. I just don't feel like that's happened yet. Mm -hmm. A work in progress, so to speak. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I notice you also included some interesting language in the booking contracts, uh, which as an observer of some of these wrestling matches, of course, more so when I was a kid than now, they actually talk about the type of activities they can do with pile drivers. Uh, give us an idea of how they how they define that, what, what the wrestlers can and can't do. WWE is absolutely one, you know, just 100% in control of that. The wrestlers are no longer allowed to bleed on camera, and they have even gotten in trouble, even if it's an accidental situation where they've bled, and I believe that that is, you know, the PG rating that they're trying to get with, you know, television, but also, you know, some moves that have become more dangerous that now they 
you know, have completely outlawed. So they are very much in control of what is allowed and not allowed in terms of in-ring performance. In addition to, like I mentioned, the one thing that had been uh, leaked, the script that had been leaked that showed that they can decide what wrestlers can do while they're walking to the ring, what they're allowed to say while they're walking to the ring, how they're allowed, you know, if they're allowed to walk around the ring before they get in, you know, inside the ring or if they just need to go straight to the ring. I mean, that is that is an extreme level of control for, you know, a company that's trying to say that they're not an employer and have do not have that level of control. And you touched on and we don't have to uh, touch on it very much more, but the the next important indicator of an employer relationship would be the right to terminate. And uh, that is a pretty significant right that is also right in the contract, which how how do you interpret that provision? Yeah, absolutely. And and they have the absolute right to terminate for any or no reason, I believe is the actual language, if I remember it correctly. So that would, you know, it get, it gives WWE just complete control. Again, not the type of control that you would expect to see of an independent contractor that is truly an independent contractor. That, that feels very much like an at-will employee and in essence even flies in the face of any type of contract with, uh, with an employee or independent contractor. It just, it just doesn't play out the right way. It, it, that's not what a what an independent contractor is. Okay. Well, what what is the what is the next important criterion that um, a, a court or an industrial board would look at to determine employment status beyond right to control and and ability to terminate at will? Sure. Whether the whether the independent contractor slash employee is engaged in a distinct occupation. And, you know, that would mean that, like, if you were to be considering, like, uh, somebody that was, you know, had a home and they were building homes and they had a painter come in to, to paint the homes, that's kind of a distinct thing, a distinct occupation. But in this situation, WWE is, their success, in, on their website, they say that their success is primarily due to the continuing popularity of their superstars. I mean, they have 450 live events each year. I mean, without, without those wrestlers, there is no wrestling. I mean, that they're, they're intricate part. They're, so they're not in a distinct occupation. They're an intricate part of that. And in addition, they're not allowed to market their services to anyone else. Um, the wrestlers are under contract to uh, work solely and exclusively for WWE to the extent that they aren't even allowed to take non- wrestling jobs without WWE's approval, including movies, any type of advertising, that's all under WWE's control. And in fact, even though this is scripted pseudo-athletic uh, matches, uh, I think we all kind of recognize that. You've had some experience in your family. I think you, you had mentioned your, uh, uh, your ex-husband was a professional wrestler. What is the real risk of physical injury here? I mean, you know, we watch these matches on television or in person. They seem pretty rough. And even though they're kind of scripted, realistically, uh, what type of injuries happen and how frequently? They're incredibly rough. There was a, a wrestler, actually, Beth Phoenix. She actually finished a match after suffering a broken jaw. She felt compelled to, um, or else she felt she might lose her job if she didn't. She said that, it, you know, the, the schedule is just absolutely grueling. And every match, you know, she said, feels like it's you've been in the worst car crash of your life. And these wrestlers in 2015, some of the top wrestlers were wrestling 180 matches a year. Mm -hmm. um, every so every could, other day. 
Yeah, you can imagine being in the worst car crash of your life every other day. And in addition, professional wrestlers are 2.9 times more likely to die prematurely than the general public. I just think that that's hugely significant. And even if you want to, you know, say, well, that's the general public, this is a dangerous sport. But even compared to the NFL, in 2014, 12 of the 36 wrestlers who had participated in the 1990 WrestleMania were dead. And only one of the 44 starting NFL players in the 1990 Super Bowl were dead at, in 2014. So, I, I mean, a third, of the, a third of the roster was dead 14 years later. I think that that's just huge. These guys are dying, you know, in the age of 50 to 55. So you have to see just how grueling the schedule is and, and the uh, punishment to the body every, every night. Before we take a break, let's just touch on some of the other couple or so factors that are looked at. One is whether the employer or the purported employer supplies the instrumentalities, the tools and place of work for the person doing that work. You know, we see this all the time. Somebody hires a painting contractor. They come with their own brushes, paints, ladders, drop cloths, scaffoldings, etc. to paint the house. That doesn't mean the homeowner is the employer. How does this play into what we see with WWE? Well, WWE is, uh, in my opinion, fairly crafty in their in their contract because they uh, do state in there that the that the wrestlers are responsible to provide their own gear, attire, and their and their outfits and and all those types of things. However, um, and and that seems to me uh, like that that is specifically designed for this factor test, uh, so they can kind of prove out that they don't supply those things. However, they do supply the bulk of the tools and instrumentality. They provide the ring. They provide all of the electronics, all of the microphones, the setups. They provide the space with which to do the work. And those, typically the courts will look at those issues. And if what the independent contractor or, you know, employee is providing is kind of minor compared to what's being provided by the employer, the courts will generally find that that factor would weigh in favor of an employment relationship. I guess one of the last factor is whether this particular work is part of the regular business, and I think that's self-explanatory. Obviously, the WWE is in the regular business of wrestling. You don't have wrestling with res- without wrestlers. Exactly. All right, so we're going to take a brief break, and then we're going to come back and uh, finish up with how else the WWE might overreach legally to deprive its workforce of remedies. So we'll be right back after this brief break. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to our interesting discussion, I hope. I think it is uh, with Mary Katina and the status of professional wrestlers. Are they employees? Are they independent contractors? What rights, if any, are they eligible for in the likely event of injury or permanent injury or even death? You know, this is a legal show. You can't really have a legal show without a little Latin to be thrown in. So I'm going to give my stab at 
my high school Latin, uh, which is ubi jus or jus ubi remedium. And that is a long-standing precept in the law that the law will not suffer a wrong to be without a remedy. So aside from a professional wrestler entering into a contract in which um, he or she agrees that they are an independent contractor and not an employee, what other potential employment-related remedies has WWE crafted in their contracts that would allow or deprive a wrestler who's injured in an alternative remedy? And, And I'll just preface that by saying, generally speaking, an employer cannot be sued or a uh, a company cannot be sued uh, by its employee for an injury because it's covered by workers' comp. But if that employee is an independent contractor and the employer is negligent, that employer can be sued. There is no exclusivity. There's no quid pro quo. So how does WWE deal with the fact that if they are correct that these wrestlers are not employees but independent contractors, can they then be sued for the injury? So, yeah, so actually the booking contract contains this language, which releases WWE from, quote, all liability for loss or damage on account of injury to the wrestler's person resulting in serious or permanent injury to wrestler or in wrestler's death, whether caused by negligence of promoter or other wrestler under contract to promoter. Uh, so basically, it takes the tort remedy off the table. There's there's no remedy for, for negligence on the part of WDB or any other wrestler that's under WWE contract. So, you know, if one, quote, independent contractor wrestler injures another, WWE cannot be held liable for that, even if it's negligent, you know, and... You know, to me, that just takes, there's no remedy then. If they, if there's no workers comp and there's no tort, then there's no remedy, which is, is not going to, uh, not going to fly. I mean, that's, that's not going to, that's not going to work. And, you know, again, somebody might look at this and say, Hey, this is a contract. It's a two way street. It's a bargain. A professional wrestler wants to become part of WWE and earn the money that might come from that type of career. And of course, WWE uh, would want a, a wrestler to um, serve as an entertainer. What are some of the, or perhaps the best legal argument to attack such a uh, provision that in effect creates a situation where there could be a wrong and no remedy? Well, I know that the Connecticut Supreme Court, WWE is based in Connecticut, and the Supreme Court there has written that the law does not favor a contract provision which uh, relieve a person from his own negligence, and exculpatory provisions undermine the policy considerations governing our tort system. And so basically, at least the Connecticut court, which is, by the way, the the contract does stipulate that that would be the uh, the court that, you know, the laws of the of uh, the state of Connecticut are the laws that that the contract would follow. You know, the Supreme Court there is basically has said that they're not going to favor a contract that that has those provisions. So, you know, that would indicate that again, if this was brought to court in the in the proper way at the proper time, it, it wouldn't stand. And again, going back to my contracts law introductory course back all those years ago, I think there's a legal term for this as a contract of adhesion where there is an unequal bargaining power, perhaps no bargaining power, on one side of the contract. And uh, the courts look with disfavor on those types of contracts, irrespective of what the parties might have signed on to. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that the contract of adhesion going from that angle is, you know, even more supported by the fact that there really isn't another company out there for these people, you know, for these wrestlers to work for that is anywhere close to what WWE is. So if, if these wrestlers have, you know, put in their time and done their work and, and gotten in shape and done everything they're supposed to do, if they want to do, if they want to participate in this career, they have to submit to that contract. And there's no other option. There's no other way. There's really no other way in. And so, yes, I, I definitely agree with that. Now, I think at the beginning of our discussion, you mentioned that WWE is publicly traded. But um, give us just an idea of their revenue stream. Are they in the millions, the tens of millions, the hundreds of millions? What type of enterprise uh, is profiting on the labors of professional athletes uh, that are engaged in a very dangerous occupation. When I did the research for this paper at the end of 2020, they had at that time a net worth of $2.83 billion and a net income of $118.2 million through the third quarter of 2020. And it was on pace to set record profits in 2020. And that was despite the crippling effects of the COVID-related shutdowns of the live events. So they make a lot of money on the backs of these wrestlers who just aren't being treated fairly in terms of having an opportunity to be compensated for injuries that they may incur while making that money for the WWE. And I can assume there's no uh, players union, there's no major league uh, players union, NFL players union, et cetera. These, these folks have no representation. That is absolutely correct. They attempted to unionize back in the late 80s, but the CEO of WWE interrupted that quite quickly and actually got rid of several of the wrestlers who were trying to get that to happen. So, yes. So before we close, just one final uh, area of question or perhaps final question. What is the status legally? Have there been any successful lawsuits that have sought to challenge the applicability of workers' comp or have there been unsuccessful or where are we? There have been a lot of unsuccessful ones, and I say a lot. Most recently, not really in terms of workers' comp, but there was a uh, 60 wrestlers joined together in a suit. These 60 wrestlers had all suffered from CTE. That's a, that's a brain injury, not unlike the NFL and soccer players are dealing exactly, with. Exactly, exactly. This recently, just really recently, I believe it was last year, uh, maybe even at the first part of 2021, that it had made its way up, I believe, to the Supreme Court of the of Connecticut Supreme Court, who at that time uh, dismissed the case. And again, I feel in reading through that material, I feel like it was a matter of it. It just didn't hit on the right. It didn't hit the right points. I mean, I feel like it could have been successful if it would have uh, hit on the right points, and um, but it wasn't. So I feel like this is this is an open opportunity, really, for you know if somebody is interested in challenging this and to challenge it the proper way. I, I feel like, um, especially you know at this time and in, in where we're at in society, I feel like it's a uh, it's a good thing to try to do. Okay, that's a good point to end. Uh, hopefully, perhaps uh, you might be one of those people that might find the right set of facts and bring that case. Because as, as an observer, even though I have some uh, background in the field, it seems to me that there are ripe, ripe issues here for a determination that would settle this issue. Mary, if somebody wants to contact you or obtain a copy of your paper, I know they can get it from me at apierce at pplaw.com. But what's your contact info, Mary? 
It is M Katina, so that's M C A T E N A at U W Y O dot E D U. So that's uh, short for University of Wyoming dot E D U. So it's yes, um, exactly. W Y O dot E D U. Well, I want to thank you very much for being a guest on Workers' Comp Matters, uh, delving into what I think is a very interesting issue. To all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to presenting our next show for you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network. Your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.